This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My ho- co host, as always, is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, and he's back with some uh, more thoughts on uh, the NHL scene, but also we want to talk, AJ, off the top about uh, how you're coping. And I'll exchange views in that regard. Are you binge watching anything? Are you trying any games at home or reading books? What's the story? Yeah, happy to happy to be back for another week. Uh, yeah, we uh, we did a, a puzzle. Uh, you know, we haven't uh, we haven't picked a, a ton of uh, haven't done a ton of puzzles. You know, basically in almost three years since our uh, our oldest daughter was born, but we were able to work on a puzzle uh recently and then watching a couple of shows here and there we we have a bit of a different taste you know we're together my wife and i are re-watching uh how i met your mother mm-hmm. um we've we've watched it once before we decided to kind of re-watch that as you know background when you're up in the middle of the night feeding a, a newborn you got to have something to do right <laughs> <laughs> um as far as newer shows you know i just finished off the the mandalorian on uh on disney plus their their star wars show um, I'm going to start up on, on season two of uh, Altered Carbon on Netflix. So a couple, uh, you know, kind of that sci-fi fantasy tends to be my go-to in that vein. So what about you, Paul? What are you watching over well, there? Well, I uh, started up with Ozark and The Wire, two very uh, intense shows. You know, I, I'm normally a guy who likes, you know, comedies, and even rom-coms. I'm, I'm one of those guys that likes romantic comedies, uh, Sleepless in Seattle and all those Forrest Gump, the, these kinds of movies, kind of fun and with a soft core to them. But but uh, The Wire and Ozark, boy, they're they're on the other end of the spectrum, buddy, and and <laughs> no they're kidding. so intense. But uh, I'm I'm right into both of them and and enjoying them thoroughly. So it's afforded me an opportunity to go deep there. And I also uh, picked up a book by Stephen King about the assassination attempt on. Uh, I say attempt because the notion is that the uh, 
attempt is thwarted on John F. Kennedy, and history is rewritten by a guy who goes back in time and breaks it all up and takes takes Oswald out before he took the president out, uh, as it is alleged. But uh, and so that's a real neat spin. It's an 840-page book, so I'm I'm about two thirds of the way in, and uh, that was a real deep dive for me because I can't remember the last time I went to the library to pick up a book. So doing different <laughs> things to try and cope here. But AJ, we got to talk hockey here, and 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 I. I'm getting the sense that there is a renewed sense of a little bit of optimism creeping into the picture now that we're coming out the other end of the, this uh, COVID virus and things are the, the the curves are flattening to use the parlance that we've come to know. So uh, some some uh, in some corners they're talking about the resumption of play as a real possibility. I still am a skeptic because it would require about a three-week training camp, and then they still haven't decided. Uh, at this point, whether there be a resumption of the schedule to complete it or go straight to the playoffs, I just think there's too many ifs uh, right now for me to, to be in the ba- camp that says hockey's coming back before next season. But uh, I'm curious to know what you think. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. You know, Drew Doughty came out yesterday and said he doesn't necessarily see how that would work. Um, you know, but but as you kind of pointed out uh, off air, that's a guy talking whose team is nowhere near the playoff line. <laughs> um but, you know, the one interesting thing that, that it seems that the NHL stance uh, that kind of came out yesterday is the fact that the league would be willing to push back next season in order to make sure this season finishes. So um, one scenario I saw being discussed is that, you know, eventually we'll get hockey back this season, whether it's regular or playoff. But then next season wouldn't start until November. So almost a month later, um, they'd skip the all-star break. And then they would play, you know, playoffs next season into late July. Um, and then it would be that next season, that 2021-22, that, that would be back to kind of regular timing of October uh, through June. So kind of an interesting point there that the league at least seems interested in pushing back next season if they can get this year kind of wrapped up. And the one thing I will say is I don't anticipate that they will have fans at any games until next season whether next season starts in october or starts in november um, i would imagine that the end of this season whatever that looks like if we play hockey will be in front of empty stadiums unfortunately first season ticket holders like yourself yeah whichever way that works out i just hope that they first of all take every precaution to protect all all participants and you know if they allow fans in a limited basis um I just hope that that remains priority one and that they don't try and force the issue here because the last thing anybody wants to see is a second round of this nasty virus going around because of a stupid decision that is made at any level. So I just hope that uh, the right motivation exists and the right situation exists for all concerned. In any case, AJ, uh, it's time for your usual reminder to our fans and then we're going to dive into the, today's program. Please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So before, uh, you know, we get into the rest of the show, just remind our listeners, as always, that throughout the week, if you have questions about, you know, your keeper decisions, fantasy hockey or or just hockey in general, um, if your team is thinking, if you think your team has a chance at a prospect and you want our take on what that might look like, um, we're happy to answer those. If you want to get into a discussion with us about shows you're watching, we're happy to discuss that as well. If you have questions or comments about these articles that I'm doing, the Seattle series, um, I would welcome any and all questions on that as well. So feel free to reach out uh, about that. But 
that kind of leads me right in. We'll dive right into the next edition. Last week, we talked about the Pacific Division article. This week, we're going to talk about my Central Division article. And then for those of you out there uh, anxiously awaiting it, the Metropolitan Division will drop later today. So you'll be able to check that out on Rotowire. We've lifted the paywall for all of these articles. So even if you don't have a Rotowire subscription, you can go and take a look at all these articles and dive right in and, and let me know and you know Paul know what you think. So in terms of the central, we'll start, we'll go alphabetically here. So we'll start with the Chicago Blackhawks. You got Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Brent Seabrook, and Duncan Keith are your four guys that'll still be on no movement clauses when that comes around. And for the first two guys here, Taves and Kane, yeah, they're maybe a little bit uh, on the back half of their careers, but let's be honest, there wasn't a scenario in which they would have been exposed anyway. Seabrook and Keith are different stories, in, in my opinion here, and I think this unfortunately will potentially handcuff um, you know, the team a little bit. But Chicago benefits from those exemption rules, and you've got three kind of NHL caliber guys right now in Kirby Doc, Adam Bacquist, and Dominic Kubalik, who are all exempt from the draft. So while they've got bad news on one end, they've got good news on the other in terms of those no movement clauses. Now, this will be probably the most controversial discussion point here. But for me right now, I think I'm keeping Colin D'Elia as the netminder here. Um, I talked to a couple of uh, fans who, who are more tuned in with this team. I was originally going to go Malcolm Subban here. Um, but I went with Dalia instead, and I think he's the long-term future of the organization. So Colin Dalia, uh, my netminder. In terms of the defensemen, I mentioned that they're stuck with Seabrook and Keith uh, as of now, whether they can get one of those guys to move it, whether they can trade somebody. But the third guy I toss in is going to be Connor Murphy. I think he's the most uh, all-around player for them. He's got some decent numbers this year. Uh, Calvin DeHaan is just too injured, in my opinion, and Olimata is honestly just too slow and not worth that you know $4 million cap hit. Finally, the forwards will go Taves and Kane, as I said, are your locks. And then I include Brandon Saad, Drake Kajula, Dylan Strom, Alexander Nylander, and Alex DeBrincat. I think the one kind of wild card here uh, in terms of making a run is going to be uh, potentially Matthew Highmore. Uh, he just resigned a couple weeks ago, and I think he could play his way into a spot. I think what you're not going to see is Andrew Shaw or Zach Smith, uh, you know, on the protected list as the team tries to. It has been for a couple years. Tries to transition to a younger lineup. You know, they got really long in the tooth in order to win those cups, and nobody would fault them for that. But it's been several years of them trying to get younger and younger and get some prospects in after winning those championships. So I, I don't think they're going to sacrifice guys like Strom, like Nylander, who you know are in their early 20s. So that's kind of my rundown of, of how Chicago looks. Paul, what say you about this group? You know what? It's, the, it's got more question marks in it for me than any of the teams that we previewed last week, AJ. I'll start off with that comment. Uh, certainly the, the, the decision in net is a, a coin flip situation for me between Colin D'Elia and Malcolm Subban. Malcolm Subban didn't even get a sniff in Chicago once he came over after the trade deadline, so I'm not sure why they didn't uh, give him a chance to suit up and start a couple of games yet, but uh, D'Elia is in the minors right now, and uh, both of them should have new contracts in place 
before the expansion draft, I would think. And, and Corey Crawford is, uh, to your point, why we don't mention him. He's a UFA in 2020, and, and uh, he's 35 years old. So I don't think in a year and a half they're going to pin their hopes on him as the goaltender of the future. The t- father time is catching up there. But, but the other question for me is on the defense, AJ. Brent Seabrook is a guy who was on the uh, long-term IR for Chicago at the end of this as this season wound down and I don't know if he's going to get any healthier so that's a real question mark for me in terms of the usage of the protected spots they might want to see if they can deal him or trade him to another team that would take on that contract and place him on the LTIR I could see Seattle being in that situation and getting compensation in other ways in in a deal that way for him and his services but uh, if he sticks around, I do think you got it right in terms of the defense component there. Co- Connor Murphy looks to me like the next wave of, of defensemen of, of some quality that should be top fours here. And then Dehan, you're right, and Mata, they just haven't fit the bill for the money that they're being paid. I don't think they're going to be an attraction at all to Seattle, even if they are unprotected. So not much of a risk for Chicago there. Up front, I will take issue with the fact that you're leaving Andrew Shaw off the list. I do think he's still going to be a core player for this club. And I would say sacrificing almost uh, because I haven't seen enough from Nylander and he's bounced around a couple of teams. I think he's the odd man out in my list. I agree with every other pick you made. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, a, a, a experience versus youth kind of decision there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but certainly, yeah, one that, that could go either way. And, you know, this upcoming season will will make a, a lot of those determinations. Talking about uh, Colorado next, rather, their only uh, no movement clause here uh, heading into that draft is Eric Johnson on the blue line. Uh, you know, a bit of a hefty price tag at $6 million, but, you know, he is really – uh, their biggest kind of shutdown defender here, and I don't think they would let him uh, leave anyway. So I don't think this hurts them too much there. In terms of the net minding, uh, I just think it's too early for them to really say, you know, that they're not going to go with Philip Grubauer. They, you know, they brought him over from uh, Colorado a couple years ago. They eased him in in his first season by still having Simeon Barlamov on the team. And I don't see them switching over to Pavel Francouz at any point here. So I think this is a pretty open and shut case for them in terms of the net mining. And I would say the same for the defense. You know, even if Eric Johnson didn't have the no movement clause, I think you'd still protect him. He's in his early 30s. Yes, that $6 million cap hit is is up there. But then you also obviously protect Kale McCarr. And I think Samuel Garrard as well. He's turned into a really offensive powerhouse for them. You know, this is maybe a situation where you could explore keeping a fourth defenseman. And if you were going to, for my money, I think it would be Nikita Zadarov if you were going to keep a fourth here. But you do have, um, you know, Byram, uh, uh, Bowen Byram coming up. Uh, Adam, uh, I'm sorry, Adam Werner is a goalie. Connor Timmons, rather, as yeah. two up-and-coming defensemen. So I think overall you take the risk. Uh, of losing, you know, a Zadaroff or, or maybe they look at somebody else on the, the blue line here. But I think it's pretty easy decision to keep Makar and Garrard as, as offensive leaders on that, that club from the blue line. Uh, in terms of forwards, uh, it's also pretty straightforward here, too, I, to be perfectly honest. You know, Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, open and shut cases for all of those guys. I think Nazem Kadri has shown you enough, gives you a little bit of toughness. 
I love uh, Jonas Donskoy, JT Comfort, and Andre Burakovsky. All of them will inevitably go through the occasional slump here or there, but they're all in their mid to late 20s. Their cap hits aren't outrageous. The one guy that I think is the odd man out here is Vladislav Nemesnikov. He's bounced around a little bit. He makes $4 million against the cap. Uh, he will be a UFA this year, so this might not even be a factor if he ends up signing somewhere else. But I just think he hasn't shown enough to warrant keeping him over one of the other names there. So uh, the Avs, I think, are going to have uh, some pretty easy decisions, if I'm being totally honest here. Paul, do you see any kind of tough spots for them here? You know what? It's funny you say that you're, they're easy decisions because I agree with you. But then you look at some of the names that are not on the list, and we can start with the net mining situation. Uh, I think uh, Pavel Francis has done uh, enough to merit some consideration by Seattle for, for locking up a guy on the cheap, I would say, who has shown enough for me to be considered maybe no worse than a second goalie in a Seattle situation. And then if you're looking for a semi-experienced defensive uh, stalwart, I'll say, who could be a top four, I'm looking at a guy like Ian Cole, and you know you've seen enough of him. He had a very good season this year, AJ. He's only 31 right now, so I think there's still a lot of mileage there. And if they're looking for a guy to be a leader type I think he fits that bill too so there's two reasons to like him for his defensive acumen he had a nice offensive season he's not about the offensive game but he could be considered part of a the leadership core of of the Seattle expansion franchise and uh, then you also left Ryan Graves off the list another youngster who's who's shown enough in some flashes and is coming off an RFA contract he's not going to cost a lot of money so uh, you need some cost certainty uh, on the cheap if you can get it and and Reyes might fit that bill when uh, with his next contract. I don't think he's going to cost five or six million dollars a year. So an opportunity there on defense. And then up front, you did mention the Mesnikov. I'll throw in the name of Tyson Yost, who who many people expected much more from what he from him than we've seen in the first three years of his career. He's coming off an RFA contract, and you just wonder if he's one of those later bloomers. But boy, in his junior career, he had an outstanding time, and uh, there's a lot of skill there. So if you want to take a flyer, that's not a bad place to go, in my opinion. So while I agree with your picks, there's a lot of opportunity for Seattle to get a quality player off the Colorado roster with the leftovers. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's, it's one of the uh, kind of the deeper groups here that right. Seattle have to pick from. But yeah, I think as we both agree that, you know, from Colorado standpoint, there's not different decisions really to be made. All right. So we'll move on to the stars from there. And this is going to be the one team uh, in this uh, conference or in this division, rather, where I'm going to go four four one in terms of the makeup and keep those four defensemen. Now I'll talk uh, first about the no movement clause guys. You have Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, Alexander Radulov and Ben Bishop, all of which uh, are mandatory keeps. And I think even if they were able to expose any of those guys, I don't think you would do it anyway. You know, I know the organization has uh, voiced some concerns about Sagan and Ben in the past and their periodic slumps. But these are just two faces of your franchise, top point producers. Yes, they're both making over $9.5 million against the cap, but you're not going to let them walk for free. That's just not a realistic scenario. So I don't think anything changes here. And I'll gloss over the net mining situation for the most part. 
Bishop is going to be the guy for them, even without that no-movement clause. I do think Anton Kudobin could get a serious look from Seattle in terms of whether or not to take him as a, as a solid number two backup, a veteran backup for them. Um, but obviously, uh, from the Stars' standpoint, you're going to protect Bishop here. The reason I will go for defensemen with this club is primarily what you have on, on the blue line. Uh, Essa Lindell, Miko, Miro Heiskanen, John Klingberg, I think are locks for this spot. Now, the one question mark, obviously, that I included is going to be Stefan Johns. I think despite the year missed, uh, I think he's a solid defensive kind of guy on the on that side of the puck. I don't think you're willing to walk away from that, especially when you consider that he's 27 years old. He's not making a ton of money against the cap. And this way you really solidify your top four blue liners heading into the future here. And so for me, I think that's worth kind of risking, um, you know, some of these other forward options that they have. And that's part of it too, is I just didn't see the three potential guys that I would rather keep to risk giving up a Stefan Johns. Um, you know, I think the four forwards that they can keep are fine. And then the rest of them are all kind of similar players in, in a lot of ways. So I'll get into the forwards. I said Sagan, Ben, Radulov. So the fourth guy in the forward compliment that I keep uh, is Rupe Hintz, 23 years old, uh, you know, heading into uh, RFA deal. And I think he's the most logical choice here. Obviously, I'm leaving off Joe Pavelski, but his numbers with Dallas weren't great. $7 million is a huge amount against the cap, and he'll be 36 by the time we're getting to that point. The rest of this lineup is all kind of pluggers, grinders, uh, for the most part, that, you know, you only have to lose one of them. Uh, you know, Cogliano, Como, Janmark, Faxa, like all these guys are relatively similar players. And so I don't think it's worth keeping three of those guys protected at the risk of losing Stefan John. So for me, I think this is a, a grouping where I go four forwards, four defensemen here and lock up that top four for the stars. Paul, what about you? Do you like some of these forwards or do you think keeping a guy like John's is worth the risk? I, I think I'm going to leave John's off my list only because there was one guy you didn't mention who I think needs to be protected. And that's Dennis Gurianov. He's coming off a 20 goal season as a 22 year old. And he showed flash of a real offensive brilliance, in my opinion, uh, a guy that they can build their, their top six around for years to come. I think he needs to be a part of the Dallas core going forward, along with Rupe Hintz, to be the next wave beyond Messrs. Sagan and Ben, if you will, and Radulov for that matter. So I, I think looking after a bit of the future with some quality guys who have shown enough to date trumps the addition of Johns in the mix. You can't, I can't question any of the other choices you made. They're all very easy choices. So uh, maybe that's another case. If the, if the Seattle team is looking for a defenseman, Johns could be the guy that they target if he remains uh, available. But I, I just think that Gurianov is too important to this mix offensively to leave him off the list. And that's the only change that I would make from what, what you presented. Yeah, so for my money, if I if I was going to leave Johns off, I, I definitely agree with Gurianov, and I think I would add, um, you know, you get a couple more forwards if you make that call. So I think I would also add Jason Dickinson right. to that list, um, and then either Tanner Carroll or Joel uh, uh, Esperance as as kind of those guys. But as I said, for me, I like locking up the the blue line there. So we'll go on to Minnesota. Uh, we'll talk first, as always, about our no movement clause guys. 
And again, this is another situation where uh, no harm, no foul. These are going to be four guys that would be protected anyway. And you're talking about Zach Parise, Matt Zuccarello, Ryan Suter, and Jared Spurgeon. Uh, again, I don't see a scenario where they would risk any of those guys. Yes, I understand that Suter and Parisi are already 35 years old, but both have yet to show any signs of a decline. Um, maybe if next season is real rough on those guys, you would ask them to potentially waive a no movement clause here. Um, but I just don't see it for my money. I think you would keep all those guys anyway. Net minding, uh, again, a, a tough decision here, especially because they have uh, Capo uh, Kakoen coming up uh, as a as a development guy. But I don't think he's really shown enough that other team like Seattle would really be interested in him, especially considering the other netminders that I project are going to be available. So I think even at 33 years of age, you keep Devin Dubnik. Look, his numbers this year were down, but that's because he was dealing with a family issue related to his wife's health and, and didn't play as many games. I would expect next year he goes back to logging over 60 games a season and, and will get back over you know that 30 win mark. Uh, blue liners, I mentioned uh, Sutter Spurgeon. Matt Dumba is the third guy for me. Um, but I think your question mark here is Jonas Broden. I, uh, arguments could be made uh, for Broden over Dumba and still going with just three defensemen. Uh, I think you could maybe make an argument for keeping all four. But here's the problem that I have with keeping all four. I'll, I'll let you chime in, Paul, on whether you think Broden or Dumba. I could be persuaded either way. But the reason I don't keep all four is because of the young prospects that they have at the forward position that are up and coming. You know, I think if they went four, you have Parisi, Zucker, Fiala, and then Felino are your kind of four locks there. Um, But for my money, keeping a fourth defenseman is not worth having to expose the likes of Joel Erickson-Eck, Luke Coonan, and Jordan Greenway. Um, So for my money, I, I think it's too big of a risk to put all three of those guys potentially on the chopping block. You'll notice I left off Miko Koivu. He's 37. I would be surprised if he re-signs with the club after this season. I think Alex Galchenyuk will also walk away this this season. He's just really struggled this year as well. So for me, again, just to give you a full rundown of what I said for the fours, Parisi, Zuccarello, Kevin Fialo, Marcus Foligno, Joel Erickson-Eck, Luke Coonan, and Jordan Greenway are my forwards. Paul, what do you think here? Do you keep both Broden and Dumba and expose Erickson-Eck, Coonan, and Greenway? Or do you keep Broden over Dumba? What do you see this shaking out as? I, I think you've identified the very toughest call probably of any team that we've seen to date. That That's a real difficult one for me. I think Dumba would be highly sought after. It's just the tick price uh, point of $6 million that will be on the books. That might be a tad high. And you know that this is a guy who would probably test free agency once that thing expires if he's not liking the trajectory of being part of an expansion franchise that doesn't do what Las Vegas did in their first year. So it's a real wild card for me. I'm going to say they they lean in in the direction of Jonas Brodeen, a little bit cheaper, and hopefully they can get him re-signed to a longer-term deal because he's going to come due before Dumba does. So I, I would try to save a little money, go with Brodeen instead. And then you've identified the issue at forward position. 
they really are hamstrung by the fact that they have to hold on to two big contracts there. But, you know, you're going to keep Zuccarello and Parise in this mix no matter what. I love the fact that Fiala had a breakout campaign. He's going to get a big raise over the $3 million per year, but he's a fixture here in Minnesota. And you've made a good identification of some youngsters who are going to finally, who are finally looking like they're going to make the grade and, and change the complexion and outlook of this team uh, within the next couple of years with the uh, growth that I project, and you agree with uh, Erickson Eck, Kunin and Greenway being a part of the next wave offensively. So uh, turnover is happening there, and they've got to protect the, the quality that they've acquired among those youngsters. So that they're, they're, they're going to go 7-3-1, and one, I think. Yeah, so for, for Nashville, um, I, I actually, when I said before that Dallas was the only 4-4 I was going to go, uh, I actually am going to do that for Nashville as well. And this will sound familiar to our Predators fans out there. They were one of the few teams um, back for the Vegas expansion that kept four defensemen. And I think they do that again. And that starts obviously with Roman Yossi, who signed that big contract. He's signed through the 2028 season, making over $9 million a year and has a no-movement clause. Uh, you know, their their GM, David Poley, has been very hesitant to hand those out, but he got Yossi at a relative bargain price um, for his capability and the full term that they wanted there um, in order to give that. The toughest choice, I think, for this team, even though you're looking at that 4-4 combo, is going to be the net mining here. Peke Rene, already 37 years of age, is only going to be a year older when we get there. Had a really disappointing season uh, this year. Now, UC Saros struggled as well on his own right, but at 24 years old uh, and a relative you know, cap savings compared to Pekka Rene, I think he's the guy that you protect overall in terms of net mining here. And so it's time, I think, to make that transition for the Predators. I mentioned keeping four defensemen. It's going to look pretty similar to last time. I think Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm are your guys that they're going to keep. But then the fourth guy that I just don't see them risking exposing is Dante Fabro. He's been uh, kind of a, a mainstay in their top four this season as a rookie um, and 21 years old, you know, cheap against the cap. So I just don't see them letting him walk away. And it's obviously because of, you know, it's the same reasoning as I gave for Dallas. There's a, a handful of forwards that kind of all fit the same mold. So it doesn't really matter which one you would consider giving up, in, in my opinion. The forwards that you protect are Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg. And for me, it's Victor Arvidsson. Now, I know his numbers were down this year. He's dealt with some injuries. And I, I responded to a question on the article of somebody commenting that they didn't want to lose Colton Sissons. For me, Sissons is right there at the fifth spot. Um, but I'm willing to expose him in, in order to keep that defensive core together. Uh, Kyle Turris has not been a fit in Nashville. Um, and so I think you definitely consider exposing him. He could be a real consideration for Seattle as kind of a veteran guy who can kind of restart his career here. So uh, for, for the Predators, I also go with a, a four defenseman, four forward. Look, Paul, what do you what say you, uh, you know, do you, are there prospects? Are there forwards that you want to keep here and, and go 7-3 instead? You know what? I, I look at the forwards that you didn't include, and I look at uh, guys like Mikhail Grandlin, Craig Smith, Nick Bonino, Kali Yarncroft, Austin Watson. You can make the case that I might be interested in keeping Kali Yarncroft and Mikhail Grandlin, but that would necessitate dropping that fourth defenseman. So I agree with you. I think Dante Fabro is 
too valuable to this team as a 21-year-old, he'll be 22 years old, he might be the first pick that uh, Seattle pick takes if, if he's made available because you want to solidify your defense for years if you can. And, and Fabro has all the qualities of a, a guy who's going to be a top four defenseman for the next 10 years. So why wouldn't you look in that direction if he, a guy like him was exposed? So that really hamstrings, uh, hamstrings this team in terms of the limitation to go for four forwards. And I think you nailed them uh, in terms of the ones that you identified. All right, so we'll move on to, to St. Louis here. No players uh, technically with, with the no movement clause here, so um, we'll jump right into the net minding. This one, about as straightforward as they get. Jordan Bennington will be their guy for a long time. He's just 26 years old. He's already won a Stanley Cup, so uh, they're, they're not going anywhere. Again, this is like Dallas, another situation where maybe Jake Allen gets consideration from Seattle. Um, But from the Blues perspective, you're not changing that up at all. On defense, uh, I think you include Alex Petrangelo right now. The question mark is whether he resigns this season. Um, That would obviously change things up for them. But for me right now, Petrangelo, Colton Pareko, and Vince Dunn are your blue liners. Um, I just haven't seen enough out of kind of their other guys where I don't think you can – I think you can plug in place, right? I think the rest of their guys – Falk, Scandella, Bo Meester, Gunnarsson, Bortuzzo, they're kind of all in a similar vein. You can kind of plug and place them uh, in, in exchange for each other. And I think we've seen that in the lineup as, as Craig Berube has kind of shuffled a couple of these guys in and out. So for me, it's a pretty straightforward decision. I guess if Petrangelo doesn't re-sign, let's say he walks this season, I think Justin Falk is the guy that I would maybe consider. In terms of the forward group, they're just too deep to warrant keeping a fourth defenseman here. And it starts with Ryan O'Reilly, Vladis, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen. All those guys are pretty much your your locks here. And then they're kind of depth up-and-coming guys in Oscar Sundquist, Zach Sanford, and Robert Thomas are the other three. Obviously, you'll see I'm leaving off Alexander Steen. He'll be 37 by the time we get there. Tyler Bozak will be 35. And then David Perron has already been through this once uh, and been exposed and selected in a draft. So maybe it's time for him to test out Seattle as well. (laughs) Um, You know, I'll throw in kind of an interesting thing. If you look at David Perron's uh, contracts, he's only ever signed contracts with Seattle or with St. Louis, rather, despite having played for a number of teams. He signs with them. He gets moved. Uh, for various reasons and then always seems to come back so kind of an interesting story there but um, I just don't see them protecting him and they'll expose him like they did last time uh, in my opinion Paul what say you I'm going to disagree with you. I think you're going to keep Perron. <laughs> right off the bat, that's that's one discrepancy that I have. Uh, I don't know that Thomas makes the grade over him. I know he's only 20 years old and coming off an RA, RFA. He showed flashes of being uh, a guy who's certainly no worse than a third-line player and would test the depth of a, the top six from time to time as well uh, with the flashes that we've seen from him. But uh, the other guys, there's no question about the rest of the offense that you picked. For me, the, the quandary is on the blue line. If Pietrangelo is re-signed by St. Louis, it's a big if. It's looking to me like he won't be. So I don't think you include him in that mix. And I'm not sure that you do Falk either because he's got a big ticket, AJ, and he didn't show me a thing in St. Louis this year. And to me, 
that could be an albatross of a contract that Seattle might want to steer far, far away from. And uh, Marco Scandella is a UFA this summer. Jay Bomeister's career is in jeopardy. So they've got some real question marks on the blue line in terms of filling out that complement, even to get to three players, in my opinion. I don't really know how they get there, what roadmap they take. I guess uh, if you if you look at the players they're committed to, Falk would be at the top of that list because of the contract extension. But I'd be wary of what I saw from him on the ice. So a real tough decision on the blue line for the, for the Blues. I think uh, Perron would be a guy, though, that I would definitely like to see them protect. All right, so we'll dive into the last team here in the Central Division, the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, they have one player on on that no-movement list, and that's uh, Captain Blake Wheeler. Uh, yes, the 2019-20 numbers weren't quite as impressive as the previous two seasons in which he topped the 90-point mark, um, but he did hit 20 goals for a seventh straight year. Uh, I think the interesting part about this is he's the only one right now with a no-movement clause and not the fact that he has it. Uh, certainly, he is locked up there anyway. One of those guys who you could argue would be worth a no-movement clause is the net-mining choice, Connor Hellubuck. Uh, he it will be the guy, absolutely. Uh, Laurent Brossois, another guy who maybe could get consideration by um, you know, by Seattle, but he'll be a UFA this season and may not even be with the Jets, but that's not really a concern for them. They'll protect Connor Hellubuck. On the blue line, things are obviously very different from where they were a year ago for this club. Uh, the the situation with Dustin Bufflin, they, they lost, you know, three guys in, in the offseason heading into this year. So looking forward for them, Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, I think are your two locks uh, to be protected here. And then, I you know, they brought in Dylan DeMello, paid relatively inexpensively for him. And I look at them taking uh, DeMello over the likes of a couple of uh, prospects in Tucker Pullman and Sammy Naku. I, I think you just have to lock in that that uh, shutdown defender here. In terms of the rest of the forward group, I talked about Wheeler at the top. Uh, obviously, Kyle Connor, Patrick Liney, Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, all five of those guys are pretty much locks, uh, which is why they're going to have to go 7-3. Uh, I think if you left any one of those guys off, Ehler is probably the most likely of those five to be left off. I would imagine that he would be snatched up pretty quickly from Seattle despite that $6 million cap hit. The two kind of wild card spots here, there's certainly other guys that could you know, maybe make a case in, in the next year. But for me right now, it's Cody Eakin. He's you know a few years younger than Brian Little, four to be exact. And so I like him better as the long-term center prospect. And then I keep young winger Jack Ruslavic. Uh, again, there's a couple other names that maybe could be tossed out, but I like the combination of going a little bit younger uh, for guys that that are you know working on becoming top you know top nine, top six producers for them. Uh, so that's how I round out the Winnipeg Jets here. Paul, what uh, what does this group look like to you? Well, uh, the no-brainer of them all is that minder, Connor Hellebuck, for me, the Vezina Trophy winner this year. That's why I spoke last week, uh, glowing terms about him. And uh, on the defense, Dmitry Kulikov is a guy that would look good in a Seattle uniform. I don't know that Winnipeg can make the case to protecting a fourth defenseman. The other three that you mentioned, I think, are definitely keepers. DeMello uh, had a 
a, a cheaper contract than some of the other top fours uh, around the league would still merit inclusion in, in a protected list for me uh, in Winnipeg because I, I don't think they want to go four deep because you mentioned right off the bat there's a core of five uh, forwards that they have to keep so they're they're forced to go to seven and uh, you picked Eakin and Roslovich I, I think I might make the case for uh, Mason Appleton possibly uh, instead of uh, Cody Eakin just because of the potential that is yet to be unlocked there but it's really a bit of a coin flip it's it's experience over youth or youth over experience whichever way you want to go there there's no quarrel with any of the other choices you made in in this list yeah so that wraps us up here uh, again later today the uh, Metropolitan Division article will be released uh, on Rotowire. Again, I'll make a plug for checking those out. Uh, you know, tuning in to the to Paul and I with questions about the one we just went through or next week's. They are, uh, you know, not they're not behind the paywall. So even if you don't have a paid Rotowire subscription, you can dive in and check out those articles. Uh, and we welcome all of our listeners to do that and, and provide your feedback. Where did Paul and I get it wrong? Where did we get it right uh, on this week? And then obviously the new one that will come out today. Let me know uh, where I went egregiously wrong if you feel very strongly about how your club uh, would approach this situation. AJ, it looks to me we're halfway through this analysis for Seattle and the prospects for them to build a pretty solid team are are there just like they were for Vegas. And who knows about any trades they might make for draft picks along the way too to avoid certain other players so they're they're sitting pretty already with with us still having to look at half the league in terms of what else might be available certainly they're going to get some quality goaltending and i think they're going to find some pretty good uh, skaters to to fill out that roster uh, if i'm a seattle fan i th- i think this is a team that could be a playoff contender right out of the chute just like vegas was so with that uh, let's swing our direction to the uh, way teams traditionally build their teams and that's through a draft and we're going to go continue with our series of redrafting the amateur drafts of the 2010 to 2019 decade Today, we're going to take a look at the 2011 decade. It's top-heavy in terms of forwards, AJ, rather thin on the blue line, and a couple of all-star caliber netminders. And uh, this week, because you went first last week, I'm going to go first. And I'm going to pick a guy who's perennially in the, in the mix for for uh, top scorers in the NHL. I'm going to begin with Nikita Kucherov as my first pick in the draft. Uh, I, I think... You have to, I have to go this route, even though I kind of know what you're going to do with your first-round pick. Let's see if I'm right with my hunch. Well, I don't know that you are, Paul. With with how this group shakes out, uh, I'm I'm, you know, last week I went with Freddie Anderson right off the top and, and wanted to lock up that netminder. I think these two netminders, uh, I'd be happy with either one. So since it's just the two of us picking, uh, I'll let you maybe make that choice down the road. I'm going to go. Uh, I think my next or my first pick here rather. Uh, will be the guy who was drafted second overall in that draft and Gabriel Landeskog, uh, you know, for Colorado, just too good of a player uh, to, to pass up on there. There's plenty of options in this group. Uh, I agree. Kucherov, I think, would be under consideration for number one overall. It's surprising that when you look back that he was taken uh, in the late kind of second round 
um, by Tampa Bay. But uh, obviously, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I agree. Number one overall pick is how I would take him, certainly. Well, I'm going to go with the guy. I, I'm surprised you didn't take a defenseman here because, to me, there's only one guy who is kind of the class of of this group in terms of defensemen. So I'm pretty happy to snap up Dougie Hamilton. He should have wound up in Toronto anyway with the with the Phil Kessel trade happening. That didn't happen. And so the Leafs did not keep that pick, and Hamilton went to Boston with the ninth overall choice. And uh, I, I'm happy to take him as the linchpin of my blue line from this draft class. Yeah, I, I certainly, uh, you know, can can see that argument, but I, I think there's some, you know, other guys here in the mix. Obviously, I, I agree, Dougie Hamilton, maybe a little bit uh, ahead of the rest, but I, I'll, I'll get into some of the other guys that I think are capable. But I'm going to stick with forwards for now, and I'm going to go with the guy who was taken in the fourth round uh, in this in this draft class originally, 104th overall, Johnny Gaudreau, Johnny Hockey. Uh, that you know gives me. Uh, a fantastic couple of wingers here for a potential top line in, in Landis Gog on one side and Johnny Gaudreau on the other. And I think that'll be a tough matchup for whoever else you pick, Paul, to kind of uh, anchor those those guys. Well, we're staying away from the goalies, I guess, right now. And I'm going to continue that trend. I'm going to go with the guy who was picked seventh overall in that draft. And that's Mark Shifley uh, locking up the middle of the ice for a, a pretty good uh, dynamic duo up front with Kucherov. I'm pretty happy to get Shifley with my third round pick. Well, I'll stick with the, the run, quote unquote, on centers here. Um, and I'll take the guy who did go number one overall in this draft, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I know his numbers may be, you know, haven't been as great as as you would have wanted out of a number one overall pick but certainly a first round talent in my opinion uh, regardless and I really think you know there's a reason that he's the fifth leading scorer on this on this lit uh, in this draft class rather uh, in terms of points so I'll go with Ryan Nugent Hopkins as my center to anchor that uh, that top line and I complete an all-star component uh, of my first line in, in that case, AJ. I'm going to take Jonathan Huberdeau, who was picked third overall in that draft. And uh, he came into his own in the last couple of seasons in Florida, a linchpin on one of the top uh, forward combinations in the NHL in the real world, we'll say. And so quite happy to grab him with my uh, fourth pick. Well, I'll go with uh, I'll go for some defense now, just to to kind of get it out of the way here, and I'll take Oscar Clefbaum. He went 19th overall to Edmonton. You know, really a, a solid draft class. Uh, you know, for Edmonton, for all the times that we kind of uh, you know boohooed, uh, you know uh, what they've done over the years in terms of drafting, they have some really decent guys uh, on this list. So uh, I will go. With Clef Bomb, 34 goals, 122 assists, and 378 games. And while I agree he's not to the same level uh, as Dougie Hamilton, I don't think it's that far of a drop off, which is why I didn't, uh, you know, go for Hamilton or for, uh, yeah, for Hamilton quite so early. And uh, I will pivot to the defense and round out uh, the five skaters. Well, I'll add Jonas Brodeen. He's. Uh, part of a, the defense factory that they t- trot out in Minnesota year after year, uh, one of the deeper defense cores in the NHL. And Brodeen, I think, is a guy who's just scratching the surface of what he can be, uh, bona fide top four, and could be eventually a top pairing guy on the on the Minnesota Wild. Well, I'll go. I'll scrape uh, quote unquote the bottom of the barrel here, and I'll go. 
uh, with seventh rounder, 208th overall, Andre Palat as my next choice. Again, this is another guy that maybe right off the bat didn't uh, wow, um, but certainly he has proven himself to be well above a seventh rounder here. Uh, and so I think it speaks to why Tampa Bay is so good. You've got you know, Kucherov already and JT, uh, JT Miller, who's on their team, is in the mix here. I, I would expect one of us to take him, but then Andre Palat uh, as my pick here. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy who's emerging in Philadelphia as a, a key to their offense, and uh, he was the eighth overall pick in the draft from out of Drummondville, and he's had 402 points in his NHL career in 647 games, well below a point per game overall, but I think he's going to threaten a point per game for the next four or five years. I'm talking about Sean Couturier. Well, we knew I wasn't going to take anybody from the Flyers, so he was a lock to be your guy. You could have just waited <laughs> and taken him with your last pick here. Um, in terms of uh, getting some more center center depth here on, on a second line, I'll go with Vinny Trochuk, third rounder, uh, 74th overall. You know, he may be the, the second best, uh, you know, name in, in terms of what Florida did in, in this draft with Jonathan Huberdeau being their, their first round pick. Uh, but they did some good work with Trocek. I know he's not with the team anymore, um, but really a quality player for them for a long time and, and probably will be with Carolina into the future. And we did say this was a top-heavy draft in terms of forwards. I'm going to keep the run going, AJ, because, uh, quite frankly, the goalie situation with the two guys that are out there is a coin flip, and I don't mind waiting until you make a call there unless I really get antsy. But uh, I'm going to stick with the forward run, and I'm going to take a look at a guy who had a big game as part of a breakout season for the Rangers, and uh, he came to them by way of Ottawa uh, a couple of years ago and looks like a fixture in the middle uh, of the of the mix in, on uh, Broadway for years to come. Mika Zibanejad had an outstanding season and figures to be a key player on this team for years to come. Well, I mistakenly said uh, JT Miller was still with Tampa Bay. I kind of forgot he was with Vancouver this year, which is a huge mistake when you consider a point per game player, uh, you know, with the move to the, the Northwest. So I will go with JT Miller after that 72 point breakout year that he had. His numbers were never bad uh, with the Rangers or with Tampa Bay in previous stops. Always a 40 to 50 point guy, but really uh, turned it on this season. 27 goals almost certainly would have hit 30 this year were it not for the, the shutout or the shutdown rather. So I'll go JT Miller as my next pick. All right, buddy. I'm going to I'm going to say it's time to pick a goalie because my daughter would be upset if I didn't get her buddy on my team. And I'm, that is, of course, Jordan Binnington, who is a Stanley Cup decorated youngster already and figures to be in the mix. Should the Olympics come calling anytime soon, Binnington would be in the mix to be a Team Canada goalie. I think this guy's got an outstanding career path ahead of him, and I'm very happy to pick him up with my eighth round choice. Well, then I will just, uh, you know, get it over with. I'll, I will take my netminder as well. And so really the only other choice uh, in this group is going to be John Gibson for Anaheim. Uh, you know, another another American netminder uh, that has obviously played a little bit more uh, than than Bennington at this point. But, you know, Bennington has has all the the hardware. So really. Uh, not too much of a choice. You know, I'll just run through for our listeners some of the other options. It's pretty light here. You know, Christopher Gibson, uh, you know, Garrett Sparks, uh, Laurent Brossois, like 
Anton Forsberg, like these are some of the best remaining netminder options. And that's really why Paul and I came down to just Bennington or Gibson. I figured I'd let you have your hometown boy there, uh, <laughs> local friend, and then just, you know, pick up the leavings, quote unquote, with Gibson there. So uh, I, I give it over to you now. All right. Well, there's not much grit in terms of my lineup yet. Uh, I mean, you can make the case that Shifley's a tough player. Couturier has a bit of a nasty side, certainly Hamilton, but a guy who is known more for that uh, uh, among the rest of the players, I'm going to say is Brandon Saad. I'm going to take him with my next pick. He was picked in the second round by Chicago, 43rd overall, and I'm uh, thinking he's going to be a guy who threatens to play in my top six from this draft class. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on the fence here between my next pick. There's there's really two guys that I'm looking at, and that's that's William Carlson and Boone Jenner. Uh, Carlson has obviously really uh, excelled with, uh, you know, Vegas, but his numbers are not what they were in that kind of initial breakout year. Um, So kind of a more consistent um, two-way player for me. I'm going to look at Boone Jenner for my next pick from Columbus, originally selected in the second round, 37th overall by the Blue Jackets. Uh, th- there weren't too many reaches in this draft in terms of players and over drafted over 100 overall, AJ, I'm finding. But I'm going to go with Andrew Shaw, who fits that bill, a fifth rounder by the Hawks, 139th overall. I think I'm looking at filling in my third line now, and uh, and Shaw certainly makes the grade in that regard. Well, I'll go for another guy that was, uh, you know, kind of depth uh, of the draft, uh, you know, still within the first top 100 but I'll go uh, John Gabriel Pajot, uh, fourth rounder, 97th overall. He obviously made the move to the island, but uh, not necessarily, um, you know, uh, we haven't really gotten a chance to see him there. So I, I will go with him uh, with, with that pick. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill out my lineup with William Carlson. He started off his career very slowly in Anaheim, but he moved over to Vegas and had an outstanding campaign in his, in his first year there. Kind of tailed off a little bit last season, but I still think he's a guy who would look good on my power play and uh, be a good threat uh, as a top six forward on my team. Uh, AJ, I think I, I beat this, the crap out of you in this draft, I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do get one more. I get my second defenseman here, Paul. Um, and I think I'm, I'm torn between Adam Larson uh, and uh, either Adam Larson or Connor Murphy. I, I think I'm going to go with Murphy. I just, you know, Adam Larson has been much maligned and, and rightly so for being picked fourth overall. I'd be shocked if he was even uh, in the first, you know, the the first two rounds of this draft, if you redid it. Uh, well, maybe a second rounder. Okay. I shouldn't <laughs> lambast him too bad, but I doubt he goes fourth overall. That's for sure. Um, so instead of him, I will take Connor Murphy, uh, who went 20th to the then Phoenix Coyotes. AJ, we've gone through two of these drafts, and and boy, it just makes me think GMs must go a little bit mental when they, when they think about what could have been in terms of some of the players that weren't drafted early and went a little bit later. Uh, and if you could have had a chance to do it over like we had with the benefit of hindsight, there's some really obvious upgrades that could have been made. So uh, I, I wonder if 
uh, you can't really spend too much time beating yourself up because it's a look look ahead and look to the future kind of a league scenario in the real world. But, boy, you can have a lot of fun like we are with these redrafts. And I hope our fans and listeners are enjoying this as much as you and I are. It's been a really interesting exercise for me, and I know you enjoy it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think probably the, the one in this draft class, the most obvious one, is Andre Pilat. Um, you look at it, he was there were only three players taken after Andre Pilat uh, in this draft. So really uh, a late round pickup, uh, you know, and, and you look at this seventh round, there's a handful of guys that have logged some significant games in the NHL. Ryan Zingles on there, uh, Scott Wilson. Right. Uh, so there are a handful of guys that have played some significant minutes that were taken. So as much as you like to, you know, kind of think that sixth and seventh rounders are kind of toss away guys, you know, it, it's certainly, um, not an easy way to to build out your lineup. You kind of got to get lucky, but there's certainly plenty of guys in the NHL right now who are drafted in those late rounds. And AJ, for the second week, we're talking about uh, a draft where the Montreal Canadiens didn't do much with their early round picks. They have about 15 picks in the upcoming draft. And in terms of the real world, again, I'm going to say that their GM has to hit some home runs this year. Otherwise, his hot seat is going to get even hotter in La Belle Provence. Uh, looking ahead, you know, there's there's uh, fans that always think that we take swipes, swipes at the Canadians and Flyers because they're rivals to our teams. I say, yes, we do. I, have, I, make, <laughs> I, make, I make no apologies. <laughs> AJ, I, I, I'm looking forward to the rest of your series of columns. I think you're doing an excellent job breaking down the prospects for Seattle. And as I said, I think there are fans of that club, the fledgling organization, that are going to be pretty happy with the way things turn out. You're painting a pretty nice picture there. Yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, you know, I think... Um, as tough as some of the decisions have been in, in terms of who to protect and the metropolitan division is no easier. I'll tip my hand. There are some interesting net minding decisions that have been made uh, in that article. Look for that later today. Um, I think it's going to be even tougher to narrow down and pick a Seattle team because there are so many good players uh, that are available. And, you know, I'll have to really, I would imagine I will make several different iterations of that as I, you know, I'll go through once and say, oh, this team looks great. And then I'll start double, you know, double checking, rechecking. And there will be plenty of tweaks uh, in in the days leading up to that article uh, hitting the hitting the newswire. Yeah, that's because there's going to be a lot of angst with teams wondering if they go seven, three and one or four, four and one, like you suggested. It's a key decision uh, that will shape even some of the uh, NHL clubs that are not uh, expansion teams and uh, looking to their futures. That wraps up this episode of podcast, folks, with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode is scheduled for a week from today, next Tuesday. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.